1: Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply.
0: Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com.
2: Hi, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Scott Benjamin. And I'm Ben Bolin. Ben, we've got uh, something that we've been talking about for quite a while now. Um, I know that we, in uh, I think it was our self-driving cars from CES episode, we hinted that um, I had I'd received a, a book for Christmas that was of... Uh, of automotive legends and mysteries and myths. And and I've got that book sitting in front of me right now, and we had said that we wanted to talk about a couple of different stories in this thing, if not every story that's in this book. And uh, we're going to hit one of those today.
3: Yes. uh, From the book, Automotive Mysteries, Myths, and Rumors Revealed. Revealed. Wow. That was my rural juror moment. Close enough. Okay. Uh, We're going to talk about a car that some people may not have heard of,
2: the Norseman. Yeah, that's right. This is a uh, there's a good reason why a lot of people may not have heard <laughs> about this thing because it wasn't around for too long. Um, there's there's an entire legend uh, around this thing, and and just to I guess just to uh, kind of point out how this book is laid out that we're that we're following sure. here for this information. We've gone elsewhere for info as well, but uh, this really lays it out cleanly and concisely. This book does. Um, the legend is, and it'll wrap up with uh, you know the verdict at the end. Um, but the Norseman. Um, Legend is that uh, it's a famous Chrysler concept car that sunk to the bottom of the ocean aboard the Andrea Doria, which is a cruise liner in the, right. uh, in the, the mid 1950s. And it's right outside of Nantucket. Exactly. And, uh, is that or is not that not true? Because, you know, there's the, often this, uh, you know, mention of this uh, Chrysler Norseman concept vehicle, which is called an idea car at the time. Yeah. Um, did it or did it not exist? And, and what are the details about this car? So, Let's dig into it.
3: Yeah. So when we talk about this car, let's see, uh, if we want to follow a rough timeline, we'll talk, we'll be talking about, um, a couple of different players here. Uh, the, what's interesting about the Norseman is that it is kind of collaborative between a, it's a collaboration rather between Chrysler and a little company called Ghia.
2: Yeah, Ghia is a uh it's an Italian coach builder mm-hmm. in uh, I think it's Genoa, Italy, is that right?
3: Uh they were started in 1915 in Turin um and they eventually were
2: absorbed by Ford. Okay. So it's, uh, somewhere in Italy. It's an mm-hmm. Italian design house. Mm-hmm. And, um Ghia, they, it's not the first time that they had worked with Chrysler on a project. In fact, uh, Gia had worked with other manufacturers as well. I think they put together the, uh, the Lincoln Futura as well. Yes. Um, another tar- car that we'll talk about in a moment. Yeah. I was going to uh, say it's important, uh, folks. It, remember that. It is important. Yes. But, uh, it just goes all the way back to, let's, let's just start the, uh, this timeline. How about this? We've all got right. a, like a rough, timeline or do you or do you have other things you'd like to cover first
3: um well no you know what let's go ahead and dive in we're starting in the early 50s right yeah
2: 1953 okay. and that's when uh, that's when the work starts I guess when the uh, when the idea is hatched and the the plans are kind of finalized and you know it's in progress I guess is the best mm-hmm. way to put it in 1953 now by 1954 the project which you know this is titled the Norseman at this point yeah. uh, was handed over to a guy named Bill Brownlee and uh, it was handed over by someone who was uh, well known at Chrysler, and in fact, in fact, well known in the automotive industry in general. Yeah, uh, Virgil Exner.
3: Yes, Virgil Exner, born in 1909, and passed away in 1973. During his time, he became a world-renowned. I think it's fair to say, designer and stylist. He worked for GM. He worked with Studebaker, uh, but he really started to shine at Chrysler, and he's the one who called them idea cars instead of concept cars.
2: Yeah, and he was uh, he was hired by Chrysler to kind of jumpstart uh, their design department, their style department, because yeah. if you look at the Chryslers of the 1950s, the early 1950s, late 1940s, they had started to fall behind in the design area. They, they were not on the cutting edge uh, like they wanted to be. And so they hired Exner, and uh, that's exactly what he was doing, especially with this Norseman, which, by the way, the Norseman... Was named because Exner had, uh, I guess like a Norwegian heritage. Yeah, Norwegian American. Yeah, so it all makes sense that, you know, he decided we're going to call this, you know, project, uh, the Norseman, and it's mm-hmm. going to be, uh, you know, the, my greatest project for 1956, 1957,
3: that era. Mm-hmm. And he had, uh, he had, oh, I'm sorry, Scott, I do want to
2: go back just a little bit. Yeah, we have to go back to 54 and 55 still, really. Right. There's
3: been some work with Gia on some concepts, the, uh, C200 concept, uh, the Chrysler K310, the DeSoto Adventurer. So they were building a relationship, these two companies, and they were, they were really beginning to um, find their stride. I want to be completely honest with you here, buddy. I'm excited to talk about the car's features and the reason it was called the most automated car, I, in the world. I'm totally
2: excited about. And this And I know car. we need to set it up. So I, yeah, we will. We'll get to it. I promise. Because I've got uh, some features as well that I think are really, really cool about this thing. I'm sure we share the same list because there's not a whole lot known about this car, really. Yeah, there's not um, too
3: much, but we do have this rough timeline. So we should stick to okay, it. Okay,
2: so we're back in 1954. The project is handed off to this Bill Bill Brownlee and mm-hmm. uh, by Virgil Exner and uh, and another guy named. Um, who was the Chrysler styling chief at the time, named Cliff Voss. Yes. Okay, so they hand this off to Brownlee, and he develops this in what they call the Imperial Studio at Chrysler. Mm -hmm. And um, the the thing about this is they actually built models of this car here in the United States. And this is in 1955 when all this is happening here. Uh, But the scale models, Mm -hmm. you know, the the clay models they built or, you know, wood or whatever they were, they never left the Highland Park, Michigan facility. And... I, I can't go beyond this point, Ben, without just taking a little tiny sidebar here. Do you remember back when I told you about that former boss of mine that, you know, we had both worked at Highland Park for a short time? Yeah. Both of us had. And he had mentioned he would take walks and find, you know, corridors underground that led to places with doorways and everything? Yes, yes. Do you remember when I mentioned that he had found, you know, scale model cars in these rooms? Yeah. And drawings? No way. Are you serious? I don't know. I mean, I how would I know that? I mean, I, he never took photos. He never, you know, did anything yeah. like that. because it was a long time ago. You didn't right. just have a. Digital you think he camera could have found you.
3: it though? The uh, uh, legendary. Maybe he found models a, of the
2: Norseman. He might have found a scale model of it. Who knows? I mean, they they were there. They existed, yeah. and they they never left Highland Park. So if it was something that they felt,
4: you mm-hmm. know, that they
2: needed to hold on to, it's very possible that he walked in on a room that had a scale model of this Norseman it's neat to think about that is so cool so okay man. back to the uh, the original story here right um, the, the scale model car never left Highland Park Michigan so how is a company in Italy remember this is 1953 right how are they going to get the exact detailed information of of the car the vehicle to them well they used engineering drawings which you think would be great but it's there's something to being able to see the the finished product right in front of you
3: yes because there's a much more intuitive understanding i mm-hmm. would argue of the space and the proportion uh which makes this scott i believe you were saying this off air the first car right to be created entirely by engineering drawings
2: well between these two between these two companies companies, between GIA and Chrysler it was created by strictly engineering drawings there was no scale model that they had to look at and say this is what we want to end up with they they fortunately I guess the translation you know between Chrysler and GIA worked out really well because um, the, the model Came along perfect. I mean, they they would send photos along the way yeah. of, of progress,
3: and they had time to mail those photos because this car was not built quickly. No. They went with a slow and steady wins the race sort of approach. Uh, it took them fifteen months, yeah. so more than a year, um, and it was running late, which is important to it's our a, story. It's a
2: complex design.
3: It's a complex design, and remember, they're working off of drawings. This was at a cost, I believe, of. Let's see the currency in Italy at the time: uh, lira, fifty million. Oh my gosh,
2: that sounds like an awful lot. I would guess. Can I take a guess on this? And Go I thought ahead. I read it somewhere, so maybe I'm not totally guessing. But yeah. I want to guess that that's somewhere in the neighborhood of like 200, 250,000 U.S. dollars, something like that. That's a that's approximate for what a, a concept vehicle, a a dream car, mm-hmm. in the nineteen fifties, early nineteen fifties cost. Now you'd have. That's not current dollars that's not 2013 dollars so you'd have to extrapolate that out to you know what what inflation has done to that but two hundred fifty thousand in 1953 was a heck of a lot of money
3: well i've got a calculation here too because, oh you do i yeah i went yeah, into because... all that description that.
2: okay <laughs> i don't want to interrupt how, you. Wrong,
3: how wrong was i you were you were you were completely on board with the concept a chrysler spokesperson after the calamity occurred, yeah. a Chrysler spokesperson pegged the cost at around $150,000. Hmm. Um, he said it was insured. So there's that. That's a good thing. Yeah. And uh, so we ran the inflation calculator the way we like to do whenever there's a cost entered back in the golden days. So what cost 150000 in 1956? Mm-hmm. I know I'm jumping the timeline here. You ready? Ready. All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, one point <laughs> two, just under one point two five million dollars. Wow, Go that's ahead. a lot
2: of money. Even yeah. now, that's still a lot of money. I mean, that's. Uh, I wonder how that compares to modern day mm. um, concept vehicles. If they truly cost, you know, a little over a million dollars, or if they're if they're more in like the ten million dollar range, right?
3: Know? Fifteen months, uh, one point two five million. Let's just round it up, and yeah. then they uh, are late. With it, which is, mm-hmm. you know, not abnormal. Yeah. When you're making a brand new car, but what did they get for that? Well,
2: see, they had this is this is an amazing car, really.
3: <laughs> I mean, this is
2: like I mean, I guess I've got a whole list of things that we can yeah. go through kind of quickly if you want. Absolutely. Um, but okay, so we talked about the collaboration. We talked about you know who, how this thing kind of was passed down between uh, management at Chrysler and who Ooh. went to Agia. Um, it was scheduled, the the Norseman was scheduled to make the rounds at the 1957 auto show circuit. So this was going to be, uh, for the, the following year, early on, they needed, you know, ahead of time to get it ready and everything, but it was already running late. Um, oh, by the way, I'm, I'm already off on another, how cool would it be just mentioning the 1957 auto show circuit? How cool would it be to go back and look at the 1957 auto show circuit right now? If you knew now what you didn't know then, you know? Oh man. Yes. Uh, I, I just can't imagine. I mean, I look at photos, and you know, they're just not detailed enough for me. I guess you know, I'd love to get yeah. the full walk around of every vehicle. That'd be incredible. Let's, you know what? Let's go a little bit further in this tangent because
3: uh, I read recently a book by Stephen King about time travel, mm-hmm. and uh, it's this. The novel is about a guy who wants to travel back in time to prevent the assassination of Kennedy. Hmm. Okay. And when he goes back, you know, this is the 60s, right? When he goes back, one thing that I became obsessed with reading, the, now, you know, as Stephen King gets older, his novels are just getting longer. So I have plenty of time to think about this. Um, I was thinking about the exact same kind of stuff, Scott. Can you imagine going back as a time traveler to car shows Oh man! And all you need is some currency of the time, and then just buy them and hide them in a barn that you know will still be there in two thousand. Some type of
2: underground bunker or something, you know, that uh, you'd be able to retrieve them, you know, fifty years later. Uh, That would that would set your future. This is my uh, this is
3: my foolproof scheme. uh, Okay, all right. So we keep getting derailed here. Let's get back to so
2: so uh, the main point here, and I I guess you know we get into the features in just one second here because it comes up right now. But this was a fully Operational drivable car, which was really unique at the time, because most of these mm-hmm. uh, dream cars are just sort of bodies. Exactly. Yeah, they would just push them out on stage, and there was a reason behind that. They had the you know the ability to add an engine and transmission, in the full drive line. Um, oftentimes, the uh, the radical designs would lead them to you know. Places that they wouldn't, it wouldn't fit. You know, this yes. was designed with the idea that we're gonna, we're gonna put a, this specific motor in it, this specific transmission in it, and it's going to operate. It's going to be a run, you know, running driving car. Like, um, oh, who was it? I want to say Harley Earl was that it. Mm. Also, uh, Bill Mitchell. Oh you know, yeah, you talking about the great designers. Yeah, they would build cars that you know ran and operated, of, of course. But sure. um, for this one to be fully operational, that was pretty. It was still pretty unique for the day. Yeah,
3: um, and let's also consider. That because it's that unique, I don't mean to run over you here, Scott. No, I don't. Because uh, this is a working model, this is a strong indication, albeit circumstantial, a strong indication that had this chain of events occurred differently, mm-hmm. we would have seen a production model incorporating a lot of this, ah, nice. or some of it. Nicely you know what I mean? stated.
2: Yeah, very good. Um, one of the let's just get into the features then, because uh, one of the things that this thing had that maybe is I don't know the most standout. Uh, visual feature of the thing. Oh, and my least favorite part. Uh, really? A frameless windshield. The Yeah, the
3: frameless windshield. Yeah, it the had, cantilevered roof. It,
2: it is. It's a cantilevered roof that, that attaches only at the back. Like, imagine where the C-pillar would be. Mm-hmm. And it was cantilevered to the front. There's really no structural support at the A-pillar, other than, uh, I guess there were... um Well, there's uh, the windshield. Well, there's <laughs> the windshield, and um, as Virgil Exner explained, Exner Jr., later Mm -hmm. explained uh there were actually two quarter inch diameter steel rods that held the roof in place at the front but not in the way that you think
0: you're a growing business which means you need every spare hour you can find that's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in slack slack is where work happens with all your people data and information in one ai powered place start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites or build an automation with workflow builder to take routine tasks off your plate no coding required grow your
4: business in slack visit slack.com to get started (sighs) spring is a time of renewal so why not refresh your home with a little help from blinds.com
5: The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without painful finger sticks. So you will always know which way your glucose is headed. An arrow shows you where you're heading. Up, down, or steady. It can even alert you before you go too low or when you're too high. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM available... You can make better diabetes decisions about food, medication, and activity in the moment. And all those little decisions can lead to big results. Results you can see, like more time and range and lower A1C. With Dexcom G7, you can manage your diabetes with confidence. Get started with the number one recommended CGM brand by doctors and patients at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com.
1: Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit compatibility
2: This is really strange. Instead of holding the roof up, the two quarter-inch rods held the roof down. There was there was upward tension oh, yeah. on the roof from the back. So. If there was a rollover to occur, the rods would snap and then the roof would spring upward instead of crushing downward. It would spr- spring up and back. Up and back instead of crushing downward, which is kind of, that's a pretty interesting design, that I guess. Is so system. the rods didn't hold the roof up, they held the roof down. The front rods, the yeah, so pillars were the primary support. I don't know if that changes your mind about it at all. I mean, I think it looks cool.
3: Yeah, it does look, and it does look cool, but there, there are
2: no vent windows. And a lot of people think that that... That, that that design would have sagged which is not the case and if anything it would have pulled up yeah that does
3: make me feel a little bit better about it but still it's okay, not so my favorite thing but you're the windows. Right? while we're on the roof while we're on the roof i want to talk about yes it does look really cool the uh frameless curved windshield mm-hmm. but even cooler there are so many features in this car while we're on the roof let's talk about the electrically operated Sunroof.
2: Ah, yeah, that's which really is cool. just
3: crazy for this amount, this and,
2: time in history. And it was big. It was yeah, a, it was big. It was a huge sunroof. I mean, if you look mm-hmm. at the the roof photo of this thing, um, and there's very few photos really. Right. But, uh, if you do look at the uh, at the roof photo of this thing, the sliding portion of it opens mm-hmm. up completely. I mean, it was it was like a panoramic view. You know, it was enormous, yeah. and it was such a thin roof design. It made it really stand out. I mean, it's really it's pretty incredible design for the day. It's bold, you know? Very. And, uh, let's see, they also had, well, the engine, let's just talk about
3: that. 235 horsepower. Mm-hmm. Not bad, right? Uh, that's a Hemi V8. Uh,
2: not bad, I guess. Not bad, you guess. Yeah, well, you know, they had other options. They did. <laughs> what would you have put in there? Uh, well, they mentioned that, you know, they, they think that eventually it would have had the, like, the high, output version of that engine which uh which would have been something like i think it was like around 340 horsepower something like that so it could have could have really been stepped up there right okay 235 i I guess i mean we'll we'll talk about the specs here if you want because yeah yeah, it's a a big car all right so it's got two-speed power flight
3: transmission the chassis probably comes from the chrysler 300 series Uh, the Interestingly enough, Scott, in Chrysler's official press releases and stuff, they called the V eight a three thirty-one CI polyspheric V
2: eight. Ah, that's a that's a Hemi engine, right? Yeah, it's, a Hemi. That's a, Hemi engine. it's so, a Hemi engine. So that thing had a Hemi. And it had a single four barrel carburetor. Okay. Got it. You want to know the uh, length and width and all that good yeah, stuff? Because let's uh let's because, make because you know when you said two hundred thirty five, that sounds like that's a decent amount for the day, right? Right. Um but but when you consider that this car was um just under nineteen feet long. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was seven feet wide, Ben. This is a, a long, wide vehicle, and about four and a half feet tall. Um, it was. It was actually. It was the second longest of the Chrysler Idea cars of that era. And so, it only
3: had four seats.
2: It's a yeah, I know. <laughs> and the, but you know that's really cool too. The the interior design you can see in in some of the interior photos um, that you know the, the interior design was really really interesting too. The, the yeah. rear bucket seats almost. Um, Okay, so we keep getting off track here. Oh, it also it was, had hidden headlights. It, oh, yeah, hidden headlights that completely disappeared when the lights were off. Um, it had fully electric power seats. I don't know if you mentioned that or not. Oh, no, good good call. And you started to mention about the uh, the door glass vent. Now, that's the little triangle vent at the front that some people really love, some people don't like it. I love it. I like them. That's um, that's why that was one of my primary pieces of beef with this. I think those are so cool. When uh, when they added that to to automobiles, they've been around for a long, long time. But mm. um, that that tiny little triangle piece at the front edge of the window that opens to it let makes Ven- a difference. It makes a huge difference. That's yeah. a that's a great feature. And um, it wasn't for about I think it was about ten years later. When those officially kind of went away from cars, they didn't, right. they didn't do that anymore. The triangle's still there. and it just won't open. <laughs> and then you look at the car, and then you realize, like, okay, this, this design car from, you know, this idea car from the 50s mm-hmm. looks like a mid-60s design. So it was way ahead of its time. Yeah. This is a, uh, this is a pretty radically advanced car. Also had retractable seatbelts in the front seats, which was pretty unusual for the day.
3: That is a really good point. Um,
2: Just to have lap belts to begin with in 1953, that's pretty astonishing. But to be retractable seatbelts was even more. Mm -hmm. um, And tiny little tail fins that were also integrated to the body. So (laughs) I think I've got all those features out. So
3: So those are a lot of great features. And now that we have told everybody about how swell this car is, maybe it's time to tell everyone
2: why... uh, you don't know anyone who owns a Norseman. Yeah, this is the uh, this is the really unfortunate part of this whole story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, uh, there, there's there's just no way to get around this. this. is a This is a bad ending for this vehicle. Yeah, um, we
3: need some we need some like sea shanty shipwreck yeah, music. Yeah, right? and
2: we have to go back to 1955, um, right, to, to really kind of describe where this whole chain of events. That leads up to this started. So it's um, it's
3: 1955, yeah. and the Norseman is uh, scheduled to be one of the big tent attractions of the 1957
2: auto show circuit. Yeah, okay. So in 1955, um, and breaching into 1956, I guess is probably the best way to say this because yeah, um, you know the car should have been done. A month ahead of time. A month a month ahead of this, so um, it, it was supposed to be delivered around May, late May or early June of 1956. Right, and um, it was more than a month late uh, when it was finally loaded onto a um, an Italian passenger liner on uh, July 17th, 1956. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that passenger liner was the SS Andrea Doria. And just a few days later, on July 25th, 1956.
3: Andrea Doria is heading to New York, and uh, they're around 40 miles off the coast of Nantucket mm-hmm. when, boom, the SS Andrea Nor- uh, Doria collides with the MS Stockholm. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're in thick fog. The Stockholm's a Swedish passenger ship leaving New York. Out of 2,500 people, only uh, 53
2: Perished. yeah 46 of those were on the andrea doria right and the remainder were on the stockholm and stockholm was also an ice-breaking uh it had an ice-breaking prow on it i should say right. uh that it just sliced right into the the uh the edge of or the the side of the andrea doria and and it right into apparently the garage area where the norseman was located uh it turns out that didn't necessarily matter a whole lot in in the end mm-hmm. i mean because uh the ship did go down about uh it, it took about a day right it floundered for about a day on its
3: yeah side. It, it floundered for more than 10 hours which and... allowed
2: a good deal of rescue effort because um mm-hmm. you know overall from just the andrea dory there were like something like 1660 people that were rescued mm-hmm. uh but all the cargo was lost in that
3: yeah day. they didn't have time to take all the cargo mm-hmm. and this meant that all the, now, the Norseman was by no means the only car on this vessel. No, there were several. Others, it of was specially packed, which did make a little bit of a difference. But the Andrea Doria eventually sank just there about 40 miles off the coast and went over 72 meters into the water. Yeah, it's like
2: it's like 225 feet down, so it's a it's a long way down mm-hmm. um, into the uh, the cold Atlantic there. But um, you know, something else kind of interesting was happening at the same time, Ben. I don't know if you uh, read in, into this or not, but um, mid mid progress across the Atlantic, I guess, uh, when when um, all this was happening. So I remember, it was loaded on the 17th. Yep. It was about ju- and it didn't. It was scheduled to arrive on I think it was um, what was it July 26th. Right, yes. The day it was supposed to arrive, and that was actually the day it sank. Um, but on July 23rd, just three days earlier, uh, Virgil Exner had a – he suffered a near-fatal heart attack. Yep. And uh, it had nothing to do – because, you know, the, the wreck hadn't happened. It wasn't like a jolt, you know, a shock to his, you know, system. He wasn't surprised by the news or anything. Right, it was just bad timing. Just bad – I mean, extremely bad timing that um, he suffered this this horrible near-fatal heart attack and had to have open-heart surgery. Survived. Yeah, survived. He's in the hospital, and uh, you know, it was a couple of days later. Um, you know, he knew about the wreck, of course. You know, well, they didn't tell him at first. Well, he's laying in the uh, in his uh, his hospital bed, um, and I'm sure that you know the news is making its way to him. But right. they did, but they did tell him finally um, in his hospital bed. His wife and his son came to him and said, uh, "You know, Dad, I got some bad news about the uh, about the Norseman. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went down with the ship." It's just kind of an odd thing that, you know, he's, he's laying in his hospital bed when he gets the news about this project that's been going on for years and years and years, and he's looking forward to it, you know, just seeing it for the first time. He hasn't seen it, really. Yeah,
3: 1956 is a rough year.
2: Yeah, exactly. So, you know, he, he gets this news, and uh, honestly, he it seems like he's okay with it because according to his son, he said, he said, that's neat, one of my cars went down in a big, famous shipwreck. It's like it was going to be immortal at that point, right? Which sounds to me,
3: when I initially read that, as though someone was on painkillers. Okay, I understand what you're not, saying. Not to be cynical, but you know maybe that's what happens when you when you narrowly
2: survive something. You have to have open heart surgery. Your philosophy changes. I understand. I get I get what you're saying. But um, also when you read that, you know, his uh, according to to Virgil Exner Jr., he said that his dad was kind of romantically inclined, like that. Like he right. would, he was he was actually kind of excited by the idea that. His vehicle, his, uh, his Norseman was going to be forever remembered as the, the, uh, the idea car that sunk with the, uh, the Andrea Doria. Forever, you know, to be forever held in this, uh, this watery grave, you know, that kind of thing. He's a poetic dude. I, he really was. I and, respect you know, I, that. I, I do too. I think that was kind of a, that was a, a stand-up reaction by him, I think. Yeah, that was all class. I mean, he could have been irate, you know, he could have just been, uh, breaking stuff and, you know, whatever. I mean, just been, <laughs> you know, flown off the hook. And
3: um, I've got the press release here for that Chrysler originally put out. Yeah,
2: because Chrysler had to somehow explain Mm -hmm. that they're not going to have an idea car for the 1957 auto show circuit. How, How do they do that? So they do it with this.
3: Idea car lost on Andrea Doria. Detroit, July 26, 1956. A revolutionary new Chrysler Corporation Idea car being shipped from Italy to the United States for its public debut was lost today in the sinking of the Italian liner Andrea Doria. Chrysler was advised by its New York shipping agent that since the ship went down in some 200 feet of water, the car must be considered a complete loss. The car was covered by
2: insurance. Nice. 1957. Newsman Reed as well. Is that? Oh, well, thank you. Uh,
3: I've, I've got. I actually do have a 50s voice, but I'm not using it because I don't want to embarrass us oh, on the, for the
2: air. Taking us there, anyways. I appreciate but, it. So, uh, so it, there it remained. and it's not the final chapter though. No, no. Well, there's not. there's quite a bit more that it goes on with this car, but it, it, there's a long gap. Yeah. I mean, you know, the the ship is gone. The car is considered lost. You know, and you know, honestly, Ben, due to, um, and I, I think that. Had there been some more advanced methods of retrieving this, in yeah, the, recovery in methods. the day, in the day back in 1956, I believe they would have attempted to bring this thing to the surface immediately. I, I think that it's something that, that Chrysler or somebody would have gone after right away. But it just couldn't be done at the time. There, there just wasn't the technology. Mm-hmm. However, now there is, and some people have actually thought about this and uh, and actually made some moves to kind of start that process to. To resurface the Norseman.
3: Yes, there were divers who reached the wreckage the day after the collision, mm-hmm. um, and they came back with photographs, and they sold those to Life Magazine. Oh, and there were other people who dived into uh, the wreckage to—I don't want to say
2: loot. But to uh, investigate, ah, they're grabbing some souvenirs.
3: Yeah, a little bit of jewelry, you know. Maybe nice. see what, maybe see if there's any fancy stuff. Some
2: modern day treasure hunters. is what Modern day—that's yeah,
3: okay. a very nice way to say it. And then the way that we left this before before the newest turn of events was uh, here's here's his name was uh, in the nineties, nineteen nineties, David Bright. Um, an explorer, a diver. Uh, he's down near the wreckage. He's looking for a lost diver, and he sees the Norseman for himself hmm, in the okay. cargo hold. And he notes that, this is uh, David Bright writing here, normally all passenger cars were placed in the garage section of the Doria. Uh, that's slightly after the collision point where, as we said, the Stockholm uh, knocked the Doria underneath the bowing bridge. Uh, these cars would have been placed in Doria by use of a crane, parked in the garage, arranged for stability. Mm-hmm. However, the Norseman was no passenger vehicle, so it was specially packed, treated with extra care, wooden crate, Put in the number two cargo area.
2: Hmm, Okay.
3: When he sees it, and keep in mind he's the last person really got to look at it at that point. In the 90s. In the 90s. So decades later. Mm -hmm. The crate had disintegrated. The car was in very, very poor condition. Salt water invaded the metal. Most of the car's rust, corrosion, and a heap of indistinguishable junk. The tires are still there. And that's how they were able to identify it, the same way that, not to be morbid, the same way that they would identify
2: people in a horrible tragedy sure. by their teeth or something. Yeah, sure. Whatever's left, right? Yeah. Okay, we've got to jump forward then. Yes. To, uh, there's a, there's actually an article about this, if, if anybody wants to read more about it, uh, from the uh, the Hemings Classic Car blog, I think it was in July of 2006. Uh-huh. Yep. Uh, they had a feature on a guy named Joe Bortz, and Joe Bortz is from Highland Park, Illinois, uh, he's a restaurant nightclub developer, and he's the owner of something that is called the Bortz Auto Collection, mm-hmm. and uh, you can check that on online. I've already looked at that; it's pretty impressive. Um, at the time, he had about twenty dream cars. Ben, he owns dream cars from you know from the past. You know these old old uh, relic cars that are worth quite a bit of money. He picked them up for very very little money, but just as an example, like he had a 1954. Oldsmobile F88, uh, which was a concept car, that sold for $3.24 million, and another one from 1954, a Bonneville Special, uh, another Pontiac, or rather Pontiac, that sold for about $3 million. So his collection is worth an awful lot of money at this yeah. point. Uh, oh. He, at some party apparently, overheard somebody talking about the Norseman, or heard the rumors about it, I think. Right. It, that's it. He heard the rumors somewhere else, um, decided that you know, maybe we can get that thing out of there at this point. You know, this is mid-2000s. You know, we've got to have some kind of technology to do it. Well, I guess he was at some type of party in in Chicago. A soiree. Yeah, exactly. And uh, he actually agreed to pay a guy uh, already at this point, had agreed to pay a diver something like $20,000 to go look for the car and to, de- to determine how best to get this thing out of there, because he was already underway, knowing that you know, it was going to cost him probably half a million bucks to get this thing out. Yeah. Something like Minimum, that, maybe right. more, yeah. Uh, but the, at this party, he talked to a chemist, and this chemist who was a professor at a university, I guess, uh, described to him, and he, you know, he told him his plan, and the chemist said, you might as well abandon that plan, because so, after this point, you know, that we're talking like now it's 57 years later, mm-hmm. but um, at that point, I, I don't know how... What, what era or what year exactly it was. But he said that at this point, the only thing left would be like the engine block, you know, some of the bigger chunks of metal, the tires, like you had mentioned. Because of the corrosion. And right? the glass, maybe. Maybe the glass. The glass might be intact, might not be. Depends on how violent, you know, it hit the ground mm-hmm. when it when it went down. Um, so, in other words, Quest abandoned at that point. There's um, nothing to save. He gave it up. No, and this guy, this uh, this sports guy... Um, there's an Auto Week article from 1990 that I found, mm-hmm. and he found four of GM's Motorama Dream Cars from the 1950s in a, in a Detroit-area salvage yard that had just been sitting out in the open, rotting away. What? He found them, and they, he bought them for you know just a song, nothing, and they were spotted originally by some, like, this is so weird. A Ford engineer was flying overhead in a helicopter, looked down into the salvage yard, spotted these, or spotted a motorama car Mm -hmm. an unusual car that was sitting out in the middle of a field somewhere in this this salvage yard and then when when uh, he notified or joe bortz heard about this he went to look into it you know it's right there next to the gm tech center which is north of detroit and the salvage yard is and when he went there he he started looking around and he realized there are three other gm motorama cars from the 1950s there that were just rotting away so he bought all four of them Mm -hmm. Brought them back, restored them, and now you know these are the uh the four million dollar cars that we're talking about. That's pretty crazy. Amazing, isn't it? But they're out there to be had if you know what you're looking for. We have to get to a junkyard. It's
3: incredible. But before we get to a junkyard, we should tell the very last twist of this story so far. Finally. Yeah. Uh Marty Martino. Who
2: is he what's he doing why did he come up he, this is this guy he's he's somewhere in Virginia that's all they'll say right yeah I don't know where he is I mean maybe there's more detailed information about him but from the uh, the account that I heard mm-hmm. is Marty Martino is a guy that he builds accurate very accurate recreations of lost concept cars mm-hmm. and that's interesting right there lost concept cars
3: yeah we're talking when we say uh, very accurate we're talking uh, what's the word Verisimilitude. yeah. Yes. This uh, may as well be the same thing. Well,
2: yeah, he does them with different materials.
3: He Well, at times necessity demands that. But one of my favorite facts about this guy, and you pointed out this guy when we were doing some of this research, uh, one of my favorite facts about him is that the Kennedy replica, uh yeah. the Kennedy vehicles he built were so good that it's been used in – every kennedy movie that's what basically. he claims he
2: says he says that car is used in every kennedy movie ever since you know the uh, the 61 <laughs> continental x100 uh, mm-hmm. the original the the true car is on display at the henry ford in michigan this is the one that they use for the movies yes. and it's so accurate that it's used in all the films so um... he's a, he's a great builder he's a, he's a custom car builder he's been doing it for decades Right. Um, learned his trade um, in fiberglass work when he was a boat builder um And eventually he built a Batmobile for a Zbar commercial that starred Adam West. So you can get an idea that, you know, this is pretty authentic, right? Right. Well, as you know, the Batmobile was based on the uh, Lincoln Futura, mm-hmm. uh, which was a 1955 concept vehicle or dream car, idea car. And we mentioned that one earlier. Also lost because the only one of its kind, you know, the 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 actual show car, which cost $250,000 to build – uh, was sold to George Barris, you know, who created the Batmobile out of it. It was sold to him for $1, mm-hmm. you know, back in the uh, late 1950s after it had made the, the show circuit. So, in other words, there is no Lincoln Futura from 1955 left over. It's right. the original Batmobile. Batmobile that George Barris created. He heavily modified it. You know, obviously, it wasn't worth <laughs> anything to GM at the time. Sure. Uh, but now, you know, to, to have that car again, he's building a recreation. And he's also building a Chrysler Norseman. Yes. And he is also building another one, a Pontiac Club de Mer, which I had never heard of. But, it, mm-hmm. you know, all recreations – all very well done. You can check out uh, Marty Martino's work online if you want. Very... Now,
3: we haven't had too much recent news about uh, Marty, but we are looking forward to it. So if you've heard something about some of the work that uh, he's done, we would love to see a completed
2: recreation. Oh, very much, yeah. Of, of the Norseman. Yeah, I'll tell you, the the Pontiac at the time was pretty close to being done. So right, it's... but the,
3: the Norseman, if you if you check for his Norseman work. What you're probably going to see are some panel pieces at this point.
2: Yeah, he's got entire sides of the vehicle done mm-hmm. that are kind of sitting on two by four stands. You know that are created, a, recreated of a fiberglass, I believe. Yes, but very well done, and I think they're pretty accurate in the color of the vehicle too, because it was kind of a green color. Let's see, what, what do we got coming up, Scott? That's all I
3: have on the Norsemen. Yeah,
2: same here. I'm, uh, I, I think, I think we've pretty much extinguished this thing, but the, uh, the legend. So, you know, just to wrap it up, I guess the, uh, the verdict on this legend is that it's absolutely true. The Norseman did go down with the Andrea Doria. Mm-hmm. It's still down there for anybody yeah. who would uh, care to go take a look at what's left.
3: Pieces of it are down. You can dive down there. If you dive down to that depth, you, Probably have about 20 minutes to look around the wreck and explore. It's going to take you 90 minutes uh, to come up safely without getting the bends Wow. Okay. stuff like that.
2: So is it worth it? Is a trip out there for that type of thing worth it? I think maybe because uh, – so. well, you know what? It's an adventure. It's a, it's a pile of rust at this point. I mean, literally like dust. Yeah, dust it's rust. more about the but, journey of this but point. But so few photographs were ever even taken of this thing because of that, that production rush in 1956. You know, they're trying mm. to get on the boat of the finished vehicle – you know when it was from when it was finished to when it sank very few people ever saw this car in person even the people that designed it which is really yeah. really unusual and had been just terribly frustrating for can them can you imagine you send off the
3: drawings to italy and you never see the car, and
2: it's done. And you see the progress of it, and then you, you get nev- photographs. And yeah. you never get to see the final product. That would have been so frustrating to me. And so it's just an open end, you know. Yeah, it's never, never closed.
0: You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack slack is where work happens with all your people data and information in one ai powered place start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites or build an automation with workflow builder to take routine tasks off your plate no coding required grow your business in slack
4: visit slack.com to get started (sighs) spring is a time of renewal so why not refresh your home with a little help from blinds.com
5: The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without painful finger sticks. So you will always know which way your glucose is headed. An arrow shows you where you're heading up, down or steady. It can even alert you before you go too low or when you're too high. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM available, you can make better diabetes decisions about food, medication, and activity in the moment. And all those little decisions can lead to big results. Results you can see, like more time and range and lower A1C. With Dexcom G7, you can manage your diabetes with confidence. Get started with the number one recommended CGM brand by doctors and patients at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com.
1: Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the g Do not match symptoms or expectations. Use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility.
3: And I'd also like to recommend some listener mail to you, Scott. Sounds good. All right, Scott. So Jason from... Yellow Springs, Ohio, writes to us and says, Hi, Scott and Ben, I just listened to the podcast called From the Ground to the Gas Pump, and on it you mentioned how while you're standing at the gas pump, it occurred to you how much of the pump itself is made from oil. Remember that? Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. Uh, I've had similar thoughts myself, says Jason. Uh, Consider, if you will, how much of the car you're filling up is made from oil, including all the plastic, tires, lubricants, and fabric. Even some of the fabric you may be wearing is made from petroleum byproducts. You might Also consider all of the petroleum that is used to run the factories that produce the raw materials for the products that go into your car and the distribution and delivery of the products themselves. That's a great point, but this is something kind of unrelated. It's a nice segue. Mm -hmm. I'm an artist, says Jason, and even the acrylic paints that I use are made from plastic, which is a petroleum byproduct. P.S. Shameless plug. Feel free to give out my website if you wish, and I'm going to do it. It's uh, www.jasonmorganportraits.com. Uh, I checked out some of his
2: portraits. It's really impressive stuff. You know, I did the same. I went right to the, uh, to the motorcycle gallery yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and checked out some of those. Those are really cool. Some of the a, owner, owners on well their done. motorcycles. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's very well done. So, uh, so good, good job. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and that's an interesting thought about the uh, about the petroleum products and how much of that surrounds us all the time, everywhere that you
3: yeah, go. Yeah, and it's kind of, uh, the email reminds me of Inception. Have you seen that movie? Yeah. Because it seems like we're going deeper. Consider the factories that make the
2: product. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we're surrounded by petroleum products right now in our in our studio. We've got foam blocks on the wall for sound insulation. And uh, I mean the clothes that we wear, the, the yeah. chairs that we're sitting in, everything. It's amazing. This studio is pretty creepy, though, too. Compared to, <laughs> compared to our older you ones. will got that right. Um,
3: all right, so <laughs> we're going to, speaking of creepy studios, why don't we uh, skedaddle out of this one now that we have proven the legend of the Lost Norseman. Yeah, that's right. What a cool legend, huh? Yeah, and we want to hear from you. Uh, if you have a missing car that you'd like to hear more about, drop us a line on Facebook. You can also drop us a line on Twitter. And we'd love to hear from people with any suggestions for upcoming topics. You can also send us an email. That's right. We still do. Old-fashioned email. Our web address is at
2: discovery.com.
0: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at howstuffworks.com. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started.